In September of 1939, Germany invaded Poland. It marked the start of the World War II on the European continent. Though separated by the English Channel, which created a natural barrier, England believed they would one day be invaded too. In late 1939, the ministry was appointed by the government to design a number of morale-boosting posters that would be displayed across the British Isles to encourage people as they faced the difficult times ahead. They came up with a bold, colored background featuring the symbolic crown of King George VI along with a simple yet effective font. The first two posters, Your Courage, Your Cheerfulness, Your Resolution Will Bring Us Victory, and Freedom is in Peril, were produced by His Majesty's Stationery Office though one wonders how encouraging the phrase freedom is in peril would be. It likely was used to convince people their sacrifices were worthwhile. Both of these posters were displayed in public transit locations, shop windows, and upon notice boards across Britain. The third and final poster was to be put on display upon the invasion of Britain by Germany. It simply read, keep calm and carry on. The invasion never came and the poster was never officially seen in public. It was believed that all copies of this third poster were destroyed at the end of the war in 1945. But 60 years later, a bookseller from Barter Books stumbled across a hidden copy amongst a pile of dusty old books bought from an auction. Fifteen more were later discovered by BBC's Antiques Roadshow. The story of the famous poster and its simple reassurance to face life's hardship by keeping your wits about you and carrying on with life hit a nerve in our modern world. The saying and many creative offshoots are still sold today. Is your life chaotic, busy, stressed, or in overdrive? Hey, keep calm and carry on. We have a few ideas for how you can do it. If your country was being invaded, would that poster give you comfort? They were being bombed at the time they posted the other ones. Now, I, I don't know what you think about that. Um, maybe you just write it off as propaganda kind of a waste. I was tempted to do that. But for some reason, this little phrase is sticking with us. It's, uh, it's resonating with a lot of people for whatever reason that might be. I, I suspect there's something deeper going on with people. I, I suspect maybe, um, I did at least, that maybe it was just a fad at first. I started wondering about that two weeks ago. I was shopping with my wife, and I saw this shirt, and I was like, yeah, maybe it's a fad, right? Keep calm and love M&Ms. But, but I think there's something at the gut level that draws us in with this phrase, keep calm and carry on, because what we're really familiar with, what we, what we know personally really well, are all the things that come into our life that steal our calm. All kinds of stuff comes into our lives and stirs us up and, and we start to worry and we start to fret. We get angry, we get agitated, and honestly, sometimes those are just the easy, nice words to use. Sometimes we're blown out of the water. We're devastated by what happens when we get stirred up. And you have these extremes. Why is there such a scale? Well, because the stuff that stirs us up is on a scale too. I mean, it could be as simple as you, you getting the flu in the last few weeks. It, like, it caused you to not be calm, messed up your health, messed up your schedule. 
could be a snowstorm that you worry and fret about. But, but there's bigger things that stir us up too. Could be a financial strain that you're facing. Could be a relational drain. It could be a job that you can't stand. Or maybe it's the boss. Or sometimes it's both, right? It's the double whammy. Sometimes it's the death of a dream or the death of someone you cared about or a death of a relationship that ends in divorce that you didn't see coming. Maybe it's about with depression. And there's something in you that wishes that maybe you could keep calm and carry on. And maybe you could, except you can't call a timeout. You, you can't take a break. The world keeps rushing on by you. And you think, if I could just sit for a little while and if people would just stop and feel what I feel and everybody could kind of deal with this, I might be able to catch my breath and keep moving forward. And instead, it just rushes by us and we wonder, is it possible for us to keep calm and carry on? Because there are other choices. And, and people make those other choices. Sometimes they freak out. Sometimes they get depressed. Sometimes they stuff it. Sometimes, oh, I think this may be the worst. Sometimes after you've been stirred up and messed with, you put on the best front that you know how to put on and you act like everything's okay. And you power through life numb. You don't feel a thing. What do you do when you get stirred up? Is it possible to stay calm in the midst of that and carry on? There are a few people that I read that said, hey, this idea of keeping calm and carrying on, it's a lie. When you experience stuff that stirs up your life, small stuff, big stuff, doesn't matter. You're in the middle of that, and that is a truth that you have to deal with. And if you're thinking that, oh, keep calm and carry on is some sort of veneer that you're supposed to paint on, so that you can fake your way through stuff, I'd say that's a lie. But what if God had a plan that while you were dealing with that stuff that stirred up your life, that there was a way for you to remain calm and to keep putting one foot in front of the other? I think there is. I think God had a plan that he intends to use you in somebody else's life. And his plan is called encouragement. It's this, it's this thing that we get to do to each other to help us figure out how to keep calm and carry on. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about different ways to encourage, how you can do that, some of the mistakes that we make, so that we can find effective ways to help Look at each other's lives and say, listen, don't give up. Keep going. You can do this. Is there is uh, something that happens when we get stirred up. See, God made you to live a certain way, a sense of freedom that you were supposed to live with. And uh, when we get stirred up, we end up having limits on our life that are often self-imposed. There are doubts that we carry, fears that we carry, stuff that undermines the way we're truly supposed to live. And, and God comes along and says, listen, I want you to live the kind of life you were meant to live fully. And what I have in mind is this thing called encouragement. See, at just the right moment, 
at just the right time with just the right thing that you say, you could change somebody's life. The thing that you would do with the right motives at the right place could make all the difference in the world. You have the ability to do that. God gives you the ability to be that impactful on each other's lives. But I would take it one step further, and I would suggest to you that not only do you have the ability to have that kind of impact on each other, God gives you the responsibility to do that. Uh, why do I say that? Well, in Paul's first book, 1 Thessalonians, his first book that he wrote to the Roman world, he's writing to a little church, and he's telling them about what they can expect. And in chapter 5, he's, he's saying, listen, you can expect to um, face some suffering for following Jesus. Like, thanks, Paul, that's really helpful. That's charging us up. We're really going to want to follow after what you're doing here. But he's warning, he's just telling them the truth. If you follow Jesus, this is going to cost you. And then he says this in verse 11. He says, therefore, therefore, since you know you're about to face this difficulty, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. In light of the stuff that stirs up each other's lives, you ought to give encouragement to each other. The kind that builds each other up. By the way, the flip side is true, and I suspect in our country we have problems with both of these. If something has stirred you up, then you ought to accept encouragement that's given to you by somebody else as well. Because if they have the motive to build you up, this is what God has in mind. This idea of encouragement, it's, it's significant, it's not small. In fact, I want you to see how important this is. Back in Romans, Paul's writing to a different church, and he's talking about the gifts that God gives us. Like we have gifts that God grants you so that you can use in the lives of other people. And he says this, this is in verse 8. If it's to encourage, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. Encouragement was so important that God gave it out as a gift to people so that you would use that effectively to advance his kingdom in the world. Now, at the same time, this has become a problem because some people have looked at that and said, whoa. Encouragement's a gift. I don't have that gift. I'm just going to leave that to the encouragers, and we're going to be fine with that. Except that 1 Thessalonians 5 isn't written to just people who can encourage. We're all given this idea to build each other up. And I know that's frustrating because you might be thinking, but Blair, it's not natural to me. It's not natural to me either. And I just proved it two weeks ago. I, uh, I went hiking with my wife. We were someplace warm. We had an opportunity to do some rock scrambling. I have a picture of where we we're at. Um, so there's all kinds of, it was all kinds of rocks. And, and we had kind of figured out a system. I, I led, and we would come to a place, and I would have to figure out how to get down the rock, and she would follow me. And, and the system was going really well. We were having a lot of fun. Uh, it was, it was going to take a while to get down. It was a challenge. People were climbing up, and we were like, <laughs> suckers. Because uh, we were like, we thought about climbing up, and we were so glad we were climbing down. But we got to a place 
And uh, I didn't know it at the time. I only found it after I got on my phone because I was looking for this picture. And then I realized I actually took a picture of the moment this stuff happened. And we came to a place, let's go to the next slide, where there was, um, it was really difficult for me to figure out how to get down. And I'm trying to figure out, this rock is about 15 feet long. It's at a 45 degree angle. It drops off. There, there was just, there was no good way to get down. And so while I'm trying to figure it out, Tracy asked for her phone. I've been carrying her phone. And I hand it to her, and she turns around to take pictures and some other stuff. And I finally get an idea. I lay down on this rock. I pick my feet up. I slide down. And at the bottom right there, you can see that little rock sitting out at the bottom. I snap my feet down right onto that thing, stood up, and then I was able to climb down from there. I was like, wow, that was fun and easy, right? Except there was one problem. Next picture. When I look back, you can see Tracy off to the side. Her back was to me. She didn't actually see me do any of that. And she's been relying on watching what I would do. And so, um, so when she turns around and sees that I'm now down, but she didn't see how I did it, she's like, what? And so I simply explained it. Uh, you need to lay on your back. You need to pick your feet up. You need to slide straight down. When you get to the bottom, snap your feet down, stand up. Then you can crawl down the rock and you'll be fine. And she gave me a look that suggested her calm was leaving me. Right? Like, are you kidding me? What are you asking me to do? And so I was like, honestly, I just did this. It's no big deal. Lay on your back and slide. Let's get it done. Right? And so she lays down and she's scared. Because it's um, on both sides of the rock, it's not good. Um, and because she's scared, she starts to slide, but she won't pick her feet up. And as she slides, she starts going sideways and almost slides off the rock. I'm like, stop! Hey, you have to pick your feet up all the way. She's like, no, if I do that, it'll pull me. And I'm like, gravity doesn't work that way. Gravity doesn't pull you sideways, right? I'm being really encouraging. Gravity pulls you down. Pick your feet up. Right? So I move her back into the middle of the rock. And I say, pick your feet up. It's not that hard. Slide down. Put your feet here. Stand up. Walk down. Right? It's easy. What's the problem? She starts sliding again, drags her feet, goes off the edge of the rock, and falls onto some stones. She had um, a pretty good gouge on the back of her spine that scabbed over. She had a big bruise on her bottom. And um, apparently, uh, all of her calm was now gone at that moment. And if I was reading it right, she wasn't happy with me, right? So that's okay. Encouragement to the rescue, right? So I say, hey, Next time, if you'd listen to me and not be afraid, you'd slide right down this thing and it'd be no big deal. It was this moment in the hike where I was grateful that we didn't travel with weapons, right? Because her calm is all the way gone and she's justified in doing that and being upset. Now, here's the thing. If I looked at you and said, it's not my fault, it's not my gift, I'm not natural, is that acceptable? No, it wasn't. See, I, I have to learn. I have to grow. I have to change. I had to apologize. 
And you do that so that you can grow and exercise these skills. So if we're going to figure out how to exercise encouragement, where do we start? I think we could start by looking almost anywhere in the scriptures. Because everywhere you look, this idea pops up. I want to take you back to give you a picture of the kind of encouragement that we're going to talk about today. We're going to go back to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 35, God is speaking to his people. And the, um, the first word in this verse is not encouragement, but in all the literal translations it is. It's just changed to help you give a different understanding of what this might mean. But in Isaiah 50, um, 35 verse 3, it says this. Strengthen or encourage the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. I love the pictures of that. Verse 4, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. The, the picture, by the way, he goes on to say he's going to come with a vengeance and he's going to come to save you. I mean, he, he's talking this, he, he's talking with some energy here. And the picture of encouragement that I want, that I want to find a way to help us wrestle with this week is this idea of support. It's the idea of seeing somebody with feeble hands. And what you do is able to steady them. It's seeing somebody with weak knees and you're able to brace them and help them care. It's seeing somebody who's full of fear and you dispel it by simply being encouraging, by acting responsibly with this tool that God gives us in each other's lives. Now, if we were to find a way to support each other, I'll probably offer you some ideas, and I'm going to start with an easy one. I, I'm, it's easy to say. It has not been easy in our culture as a practice. But, but here's, what I, here's where I think we would start. If, if we really want to support each other, we have to start here. Why? Why are their hands feeble? Why are their knees weak? Why are they afraid? Why is it that they're wrestling with the thing that they're wrestling with? And the call of the why is for you to listen. For you to genuinely hear what they have to say as to what's going on in their lives. And, and we listen. We are not a culture that chooses listening first. We want to jump to the solutions because the solution is really where it's at. If I can give you a solution, then we can get you moving. But when you jump to the solution and you don't listen, what you're saying to somebody is hurry up and get better. Really, it's just your problem. You haven't found the solution yet, and I'm going to give it to you. Now, how important, how valuable is listening? In the book of James... He's talking about how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. And before he gets to some of the stuff that we're supposed to do, he says this. It says in verse uh, 15, or verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen. I believe this skill is becoming less and less used in our culture. We are relying on um, blurbs of text, 
posts, quick exchanges, pictures that we flash to each other have been substituted for us genuinely hearing what's going on in each other's lives. And I want to tell you, the flip side is just as true because I've met just as many people who don't even know how to express what they're thinking or feeling. I I was watching um, a TV show called uh, Coaching or Bad Coaching or some Coaching Bad, Coaching Bad, I'm not sure what it was. Um, They were trying to help these coaches become um, better coaches. They were terrorized, the kids they were coaching. And this one guy was terrorizing all of his kids, but he took the same demeanor home and he was terrorizing his family. His own kid was afraid of him. And the the hosts of the show confronted him with this. And he stood up enraged and he said, I don't know what's going to stop me from beating the two of you up right now which made me laugh because one was a pro football player the size of a tank and the other guy could bench press him with one arm. I was like, what are you talking about here? But they were unfazed. They just looked at the guy and said, you don't know how to talk about your feelings, do you? And he looked stunned. He goes, no, I, I guess I don't. They said, I know. You just blow up. You put your chest out and you make and you just act out because you don't even know how to have the discussion with each other. I'm telling you right now, both sides of this are happening within our culture. We are not quick to listen, and many of us have decided that we don't want to express what's happening in here. We don't want to tell you what we're thinking. We want to tell you what we feel. And because of that, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to either encourage or be encouraged. I asked somebody on staff, I sent an email out to everybody, and I said, has anybody had this kind of experience where somebody listened to you and it made a difference? And you've heard part of the story before. I don't know if you've heard it all, but I want you to see this. I want you to check this out. For me, a a battle of mine is anxiety. It's something that's been with me for a long time and something I've dealt with. And so I didn't really understand how to get help or what to do with it or how that would even look like. And so it was just something that I dealt with and let manifest. And I could handle it pretty well until about two years ago. It's the first time I realized I really need some sort of support if I'm going to beat this thing. Because it started to come out in really unhealthy ways. And it got to the point of where... I'd be in a room and I wasn't even really present because I was thinking about everything else in life that was going on. And so I didn't know who to reach out to, what to do, or what to say. Um, But I knew something had to happen because I wasn't living the way that I really wanted to live in life. And so I sat down with my wife and just kind of explained everything that I was thinking, shared a lot of hard truths, things that I dealt with in the past, sins, struggles, mistakes all these things that were manifesting themselves in anxiety and coming out in unhealthy ways and a lot of the stuff i'm sure was really hard for her to hear and i didn't know how she would respond but in a moment where she could really say you know what i'm done with this i'm checking out you're just gonna have to figure out how to work through it she responded with grace and love and supported me through the whole process there was a lot of times during the process where there wasn't much she could do except for just be present in the process and walk through it with me step by step saying i'm here for you there's nothing i can do there's nothing i can say i can't take this away 
but I'm here. I'm joining with you. And it was one of the first times in my life I really felt the love of Christ through Amanda and through others as they supported me along this journey. Nick saw that and he's like, oh my word, it sounded like I just said that was the first time I, I ever felt support for my wife. I was like, eh, um, generally people don't get married unless they feel support with each other, but I can clarify for you. It was the first time he felt supported with that area of his life because it was the first time he had enough courage to say out loud what was going on. He, he chose that risk. And there was nothing she could do except be present and listen and understand. It is a powerful tool that we have to offer each other. It costs you time. It costs you your presence. But it has the ability to be game-changing in each other's lives if you're willing to do it. If you're willing to be the receiver and if you're willing to have the courage to say what's true about you. So we would start there. Now, if we were adding a different layer, uh, the second thing I would suggest is that you would find a way to validate and approve of that person, kind of accept them where they're at. Now, this is hard. The, the reason this um, is a struggle for us is because many times the conclusions that people are drawing aren't right. They're not good. And we, and we don't want to get behind that and support that. And yet, here, here's what we're at. We're not suggesting that you say, hey, everything that you've concluded makes sense right now. We're, we're asking you to consider understanding what they're going through. That if you can understand what's happening to them, then it would, you would look at them and say, I get why you would feel that way. I get why you would think that way. And listen, they don't need your validation for how they think. It's just helpful for where it could go. Because it could move to encouragement. What happens is when we don't validate, when we don't understand where people are at, we ask them to move faster, move further than they're sometimes capable of doing. It's interesting. There's a, a story in the book of Acts uh, where Paul and Silas were, uh, were beaten and thrown in jail. They, they were illegally beaten. They're Roman citizens. You weren't allowed to do that without a trial. But that happened to them, and they were released the next day. And the scriptures record what they chose to do as soon as they got released. And it's a little odd. In Acts 16, verse 40, it says, After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house. Why? Because they're going to get ready for a countersuit, right? That was illegal what just happened to them. They're upset. They had to get their wounds mended. They had, they had all kinds of reasons. They got to get stuff so they could get out of town. That's not what happened. This is what they went for. Where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. Why did these guys who were just beaten and in prison choose to be an encouragement? Because they understood what was happening in the minds of those people. See, they just, they're Roman citizens too. And they thought their being a Roman citizen protected them. But now if they're a follower of Christ, it looks like Romans will break the law and beat them and imprison them. And if you didn't think that was a genuine fear that they could have and hold, you would have missed the opportunity and courage. But Paul didn't. He got it. 
He understood that what they just watched had to shake them, had to stir them up and take their calm. And so he decided to step into that and say, listen, it was bad, but we're still standing and following Jesus is still worth it. And I want to find a way to encourage you. Nowhere do you find him chiding them for their sense of fear. In fact, it isn't even brought up. He just goes in and finds a way to address the thing that's stolen their fear. So there's, there's two things I would do. By the way, um, I found a quote from somebody about this idea of approval from somebody who had a, a lot of employees and a lot of clients. I want to show it to you real quick. I thought it was brilliant. I've yet to find the man, however, exalted his station, who did not do better work and put forth greater effort under a spirit of approval than under a spirit of criticism. Yet it's odd how many of us choose to say, hey, I'm the bearer of constructive criticism, and I'm, I'm going to help them because they need to hear the truth. Do you understand that what we're talking about is still trying to find a way to present truth to somebody? It's just in a way that builds them up. And so granting that they would be upset by what happened, understanding that, just seems like a wise thing to do. Look, these are actions that I think are often wise to take before you ever act or ever say anything. Now, now it can't always be that way. There might be a moment where you're somewhere where you, you're interacting with a stranger and your words of encouragement could go a long way to helping them. And so you don't have a chance to listen. You don't have a chance to value. You don't have a chance to understand where they're coming from. But in the people who are close to you, th these are often wiser to do in this order. And instead, we're tempted to do the final two things first. What are those? Well, there comes a time when you can actually act. You can say something. You can do something. And, it, and you can choose to be a, a person of encouragement. Now, before you act, before you use those words, I want you to understand how much is at play. This is what Proverbs 18.21, a book of wisdom, says this about the words that you would use. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. The stuff that you say has power. And if you don't know it, and if you're not wise with how you use it, you could do damage. About a month ago, I was um, texting somebody who was in the middle of a well, they were in the middle of a firestorm. They were at their job, and they were telling me everything that was going on. And, um, and at one point, uh, I wrote it down. The text said, I can't do this. It's too much. And so I started asking more questions. Like, what's happening? How is it unfolding? And uh, the stuff that they were explaining it was pretty bad. Uh, uh, it was... They're being put in a very difficult position. And uh, I, I thought uh, they could deal with it, but at one point in the conversation, they said, that's it, today I'm quitting. I'm going to be done with this. 
And, and I wanted to validate all of the experiences, but I thought that, I thought that was an extreme, like that was a, a decision they were making in the heat of the moment. And I wasn't sure that that was the best. And there was, not, there was nothing I could do. I wasn't going to go in and meet with the boss and say, hey, this person that I know, you're treating them pretty badly. Maybe you need to get your act together. Who are you? Eh, I'm their pastor. Nice to meet you. Let's have a talk, right? That's not going to happen. I had one, I had one tool because I'd heard them. I'd validated them. And I decided to write this back. I said, you're in a tough job. But you're tough, so dig in and stay at it. They wrote back, thanks. I didn't hear from them the rest of the day. They finished out their shift. They're still at that job. Because all they needed in that moment was somebody who heard them, understood them, got it, but then was able to speak some life into where they were at. The stuff that we have to say to each other is powerful. I don't think we understand how we could use it effectively in each other. I don't. I got lucky that time because I'm not naturally gifted at that. I, I think I was, I was um, working on this series, and so this stuff was on my mind. And so I made a different choice. It's not just the words that you do. Sometimes it's the action that you decide to follow through on. Because you've listened, you understand them. The, the action that you, that you bring to the table makes sense. You decide to watch kids. You decide to take them out. You decide to get them this thing that they needed. You act in such a way. <coughs> Excuse me. But instead of listening and validating and then doing these things, we often jump to acting because we just want it out of the way. We just want people fixed. We just want people better. And I think there's a process for how this unfolds because there are people in your life with feeble hands. There are people in your life with weak knees. There are people in your life whose hearts are full of fear and you have the opportunity to change that. You have an opportunity to partner with God to bring encouragement to them that strengthens them, dispels the fear, makes them rock steady, and gives them the courage to keep moving. See, it, it's possible to be calm and carry on. It's possible when there's somebody in your corner who's helping you do that. The only question is, will you do that for somebody? Maybe the harder question. And some of you have to decide to let somebody in your corner. You have to decide you're willing to express, that you're willing to be helped. And the question maybe is even more difficult for you. Will you allow God to use others in your life to encourage you? you get to make that choice. As you're thinking about what you would do, I hope you're thinking about who might need that. Who in your world right now 
needs listened to? Who do you need to understand? Is there somebody that you need to come alongside and speak some words into their life? Words of truth that build them up. Is there an action that you need to do? If God brings somebody to mind, I hope you'll have the courage to act on that. Let me pray with you. God, what we are familiar with is all the stuff that stirs up our lives. It seems to be like constant waves of things that happen. Some of them small, some of them big that last a long time. And your desire isn't to simply wipe that stuff away and act like it was never there. Your desire is to find a way to let us live in freedom, even in the midst of those difficulties, those hurts, those hard moments. And God, one of your plans is for us to support each other. So I ask that you would give us the eyes to see, eyes to see the feeble hands, the weak knees, the hearts full of fear, and the courage to play our responsibility, to listen understand, to speak and to do things that communicate your love to a world around us. God, will you make us encouragers? Ask as they think about this, that you, that you would be faithful to bring somebody to mind that they can practice on this week, that they can exercise that muscle and be an encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.